the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. The feeding of the 5,000 in our gospel today provides us with an image of the church. It illustrates at least three characteristics of God's people throughout history. First, God's people consist of those who, who are called by God and also who respond to that call by following him. God led Israel out of Egypt. The people followed him out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. They were led by a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. These are images of the Holy Spirit, the way we are still led by God. Jesus said to the fishermen when he called them to be apostles and to our patron Saint Saint Matthew, follow me. Each of us at least in the Anglican tradition, if we were baptized or, and or confirmed, promised to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In the feeding miracle, the crowd was with Jesus on the mountaintop because they followed him there. Second, those who follow Jesus are led by Jesus to a place of need. This is consistent throughout the Bible. God led Israel out of Egypt Egypt and into the wilderness where there was no food. After God anointed David as king, he led David into a seven-year period of wandering in the wilderness, fleeing from King Saul, who was not anxious to give up the crown. David, during this time, was in need and under attack. St. Luke tells us that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. Even the disciples were tested in this story. Jesus said, where are we going to buy bread that these may eat? And St. John tells us Jesus said this to test them because he knew what he was going to do. And the test was... Would they put their faith in Jesus? Did they believe that Jesus had the power to feed this many people in this place? We discover as we follow Jesus that a life of discipleship is a life of testing. We are inevitably led into the wilderness to be tested. This is the essence of the Christian vocation. And our faith is tested both to prove that it is genuine and also to strengthen it by the exercise of it being tested and proven through trial and thereby becoming stronger. Third, and most importantly, in the place of need, Jesus reveals himself to his people as the source of all sustenance. Israel, after being led by God out of Egypt and into the wilderness where there was no food, they were then fed by God with the manna. God explained it this way in Deuteronomy, quote, You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And so he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, 
but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. King David discovered God's provision in his wilderness experience. We see this throughout the Psalms, of which David is by tradition the chief author. The Psalms teach us to remain in our prayer, to remain connected to God in our time of need. This is the reason the Psalms have always retained a central place in the prayer life of the church. We talk about praying the daily offices. The central element of the daily offices throughout the church history has been the daily praying of the Psalms. They articulate the life of prayer, which is a life of faithfulness through trial. The Psalms express the full range of human emotions on the lips of God's chosen who persevere through trial in dependence upon God. The church sees Jesus as the ultimate voice of the Psalms. The Psalms are the prayers of God's anointed, God's chosen people. First of God's chosen king, King David, then of the descendant of King David, Jesus, who inherits the promises God made to David, and then of the whole people of God, the church, because we pray the Psalms in Christ as members of his body. These themes of discipleship and prayer come together in the Eucharist. Those who follow Jesus are led by Jesus into the community of the church, which gathers around the altar in the same way the 5,000 gathered around Jesus on the mountain. We bring with us to the altar our various trials. Each of us faces challenges in life for which we do not think we have the resources we need. We take our inadequate resources and we offer them to God in thanksgiving. These resources, these inadequate resources, are represented in the gospel by the five barley loaves and the two small fish. And they are represented in the Eucharist by the offering we place on the altar, the bread and the wine. Jesus took the two, the, the five barley loaves, the two fish, and he offered them to God in thanksgiving. We take bread and wine, which represent us, and we offer them to God. The bread and wine represent us because they represent the creation, which is wheat and grape, but that's modified by our human labor, which turns wheat into bread and grape into wine. Jesus multiplied the loaves and fishes so that they were sufficient to feed the entire crowd. Jesus consecrates our offering and gives it back to us as his body and his blood. He feeds us with himself and his presence in us through the Holy Spirit gives us the resources we need to meet the challenges of our lives. As Jesus said in John 6, just after our feeding miracle, quote, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, the one may eat of it and not die. 
If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Eucharist teaches us that life, true life, begins in Christ. Only after we experience the transformation that takes place through the Eucharistic miracle can we begin to live the lives that God intends for his people. We cannot begin to live until we follow Christ, until in following him Christ reveals to us our need, and until in our need Christ reveals himself to us as the source of all things. Jesus takes our inadequate, disordered selves. He forgives us, strengthens us, cleanses us, and he gives us the wisdom and the power we need to do in him and through him what we cannot do by ourselves. The error of merely human religion is to get this all backwards. We start with our own efforts and plans and goals. We plan to right the wrongs of the world, feed the poor, and solve all the various problems of the disordered creation. We work and strive with every good intention to make our lives and the world the just and peaceful place you want it to be. However, apart from Christ and all that he has done for us in his life and death and resurrection, our plans are undermined by the same disorder that created the problem in the first place. We cannot get there apart from Christ. Our life begins in baptism where we died and rose with Christ and were given the gift of the Spirit. In the Eucharist, we renew our baptism by remembering who we are in Christ. This is where our life begins. At the altar, on the Lord's day, on the first day of the week, on the first day of the new creation. Once we remember who we are, and receive again the transforming gift of the Spirit, we can go back into the world as witnesses of this life that we have received. We can love others as we have been loved. And until we're loved by God in Christ the Spirit, we don't even know what love is. We cannot love. We can show others the love of Christ in Christ. We can do the good works that have eternal value because they are rooted in Christ and in his kingdom. The Christian life begins with prayer through which we remember and receive again that life that Christ alone can give us and apart which our lives become unfruitful. As Jesus said, quote, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him 
bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.